right. I, I didn't want to um, confess my, my jealousy uh, right off the bat, but, but I, I'm going to confess it anyways, um, because I've always loved on Resurrection Sunday uh, when, when I can hear God's people say he is risen indeed. So I'm just going to take another one um, just for the fun of it. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. Savior, but 
he saves people from every tribe, tongue, and language, and generation. Amen? Amen. And he is ours. So let's read John 20 and be reminded of this. Beginning in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. And now let's ask that the Lord would give us insight and understanding to hear and to heed his word. Show us Christ, Father. That's all I can pray for. Show us Christ. For some, Lord, I pray that you would show Christ for the first time. Perhaps they've heard the gospel, but it's never clicked. The lights have never come on. They've never seen the risen glorious Christ. So today, I pray, show us Christ. And there are some who have heard this, and we believe it, and yet life is life. Show us Christ. We've gathered together on this Easter Sunday to see the risen Christ. So Father, I pray that your word will be clear your spirit would move. Take away any blinders, Lord. Take away any obstacles. Clear them right out of the way. Bind the enemy. The last thing he wants is for us to see Jesus and love him with all of our heart and soul and strength. And so, Lord, I pray that you would thwart his schemes. Father, I pray that we would leave out of here saying, we've seen the risen King. And may our lives never be the same. We thank you. And we ask big things because you're a big God and you're able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And so we, we pray, Lord, that you would do what only you can do. Show us your glory. And may we be filled with joy unspeakable because of who we see. And we thank you and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think we, as believers, rush. We go way too quickly through this story. And we don't stop to think about just how otherworldly this text is and the story is. So picture you among the disciples. We're talking around... A.D. 31, A.D. 33, somewhere around there. The disciples had just observed Passover with their Lord and their Savior, the rabbi, the teacher. And then they went off into the garden, the garden of Gethsemane. Um, Gethsemane means 
the oil press. There were a lot of olive trees around, and, uh, and, and, and Jesus went over there, and he spent the night praying. He knew that time was, was, was ticking down, and he knew it was, the hour had come. The disciples, not understanding what's going on, fell asleep. And Jesus wakes them up, and Peter especially, and said, Come on, Peter, come on, come on, stay awake, stay awake with me, stay awake. He said, Can't you, can't you tarry one more hour? He says, I know the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And, and, and Peter, and, and I can relate to Peter in this regard, and my family knows this, that you hit a certain time, and it's all she wrote, right? I mean, I, I can try, uh, you can pump me with caffeine, you can play loud music and all of that, and, and I can feel it, I can feel the weight on my eyes, and, and I know, that's all she wrote, you know, deuces, I'm out. And Peter was the same way, and so were the others that were there at the garden. But then one more time, Jesus woke them up, and when he did, he said, look, they're coming, and led by Judas, came the mob, religious leaders, law enforcement, and so on. They came to arrest Jesus. And you know the story. He did not resist them. Peter made a valiant effort. He had his sword and pulled out the sword and, you know, and everything. And, and Peter, being a fisherman, missed. And, and he hit Malchus, the soldier, struck him and cut his ear off. Jesus took the ear off the ground, picked it up, and put it back on Malchus's head and healed his uh, freshly uh, cut ear. And the law enforcement and so on took Jesus. And after illegal trial, after illegal trial, after illegal trial, they found him guilty. The disciples not understanding why he would resist them, why he would resist this. This is your moment. This is your moment. Take a stand. Show them who you really are. And what they didn't realize is Jesus was showing them who he really was. He wasn't showing them the way that they expected. They expected Messiah. Remember last week, Palm Sunday, entering into Jerusalem? It's go time. Let's do this, right? Let's go take out Caesar. Let's, let's show them who we are. We're Israel. We will not be slaves forever. You're supposed to be the new Moses. You're supposed to be leading us through the Exodus. And there he is in chains. There he is not swinging when they punch him in the face. Not calling down angels from heaven. He's not resisting. He's not even defending himself. I hear the cries of the crowd. Stirred up by the uh, propagandists, the religious leaders and so on there in the crowd. Stir them up, spreading lies and slandering Jesus there among the crowd. And the crowd believing them and hearing them start to shout, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And Jesus doesn't resist. He doesn't defend himself. He lets them 
nailed him to a cross. He lets them beat him and whip him and spit at him. He lets them shoot craps on the on, on, on under his feet to see who would get his clothes. He says, I'm thirsty, and he lets them pour sour wine, vinegar down his throat as he's parched. He lets them. Even here's a mocking from another uh, fellow crucified prisoner. He lets them. Imagine the disciples as they're sitting here, all the way to the point when he breathes his last. And just as that final breath goes out of his mouth and into the atmosphere, they see all their hopes and dreams evaporate with him. We thought he was the one. Imagine the bewilderment. I, I don't understand. I, we saw the things that he did. We, we heard the things that he said. We, how can he be gone? Imagine the weeping and the wailing in that room as they all huddled together crying. Did we just kill our Savior? Did we just kill the King? Imagine the, the fear there. If they did this to him, what are they going to do to us? Lock the door. Lock the door. But bolt it. Put, put furniture in front of it and everything. Close the curtains. They cannot know that we're here. Imagine the skepticism. I was duped. I thought he was the one and I fell for it. It was all... It was all a hoax. Can you imagine? Just stop for a moment. Think about Friday night. Think about Saturday. Think about Saturday night. Some of you have been there before, haven't you? You've had those Fridays. You've had those Saturdays. Some of you are going through it right now. You're saying, I thought he was the one. But why am I going through the stuff that I'm going through? I thought that he would be the one to rescue us. But why did he have to die? Why did she have to die so brutally in the street? Why did her body have to waste away like it did in her bed to cancer? I thought that he was the one. But why do I feel as powerless against my sin as I did before I came to Christ? I thought he was the one, but why did he protect me from the hurt? Why did he protect me from, from the abuse? Why did he protect me from, from the persecution? I thought that he would be the one, but why is my husband, my wife, my mom, my dad, my dad, why are they still 
was the one. You too may be going through the bewilderment. You too may be going through the tears and the weeping. You too may even be feeling the fear. You too may start being a little bit skeptical. And you should be. If there weren't a Sunday. If there is no Sunday morning, we all should just get up and go home. I'm missing a game right now. I don't know what sport, but I'm missing some game somewhere. And y'all who know me know I would be surfing, looking to find that sport. I don't care what it is. You know, it could be rugby. It could be polo for all I care. I, I just, I'm missing something right now. I could have slept another hour. I could be over drinking my life away. Vaping my life away. I could be doing so many things right now. If it weren't for Sunday morning. But there was a Sunday. Early. Sunday morning. I, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I, I understand. Only like a handful of us here uh, uh, know what it's like to, uh, to, to grow up in, in, in a black church. And so I, I, I need, I need y'all to help me out here, okay? Okay? We're, we're just going to, we're just going to use our sanctified imaginations here, okay? And we're going to go, we're going to be in Treasuring Christ Missionary Baptist Church, okay? For just a moment, all right? So y'all, y'all bear with me, all right? When I say early, I need y'all to say early, all right? But early! Sunday morning. <laughs> One more time. But early! Sunday morning. See, that's, that's what I want. That's, that's Easter right there. There we go. It's not, early. It's not Easter until you get early. You know, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, let's go. Let's go. So, so notice, they're, they're in this situation. They're feeling all of this. They're going through all of this. They're the disillusionment and, and angst and everything. And they're trying to figure out what happened. What they don't realize is it's Sunday. It's Sunday. And what I want to show you this morning is it's Sunday. <laughs> it's Sunday. God has done something while you were sleeping. God was doing something while you were looking the other way. God was doing something right under your nose. They're being able finally to see what happened. Now, first, they don't get it. They're still in the bewilderment and so on. They don't get it. But what they're going to see is the sun rose. Yeah. Not, not the sun, S-U-N. The sun, S-O-N, rose. Can you see the sunrise? Can you see? Can you see the sunrise in your life? Can you see the dawn in your life? Christ has risen. And if Christ has risen, he can turn all of the fears and all the bewilderment and all the disillusionment away. If Christ has risen, everything changes. Amen? Amen. So let's look at the story. Let's just see what's going on here. Look at verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. Sorry, I, I saw it there. I had to, I had to, I had to bring that up. Uh, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Note, they don't 
believe in the resurrection. They, they were sitting over here trying to figure out what just happened with Jesus. They believed his teachings. They believed his works. They believed all of that. The one thing they didn't believe was resurrection. That didn't make sense to them. Okay? So they're, they're over here, and they see the stone rolled away from the tomb, and their first thought is not, Hallelujah, he rose! That's not what they thought. No, look, look. It says in verse 2, she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, which is what John says of himself. He is the one whom Jesus loved. And, and Mary says to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they laid him. It's, it's like adding insult to injury, isn't it? They, they've already brutally beaten him and brutally murdered him and, and, and all of that. And now we've got grave robbers on top of this? I mean, what more could go wrong? They've already been humiliated. And now on top of that, it's, it's, it's insult to injury. So, verse 3, Peter went out with the other disciple, and, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, note this, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I mean, you got it, you got it, you just have to, sometimes you just got it, you got to chirp, right? Sometimes you just have to say that, you know. Uh, the, the, uh, Peter and the other disciple, I won't mention any names, but, but, but that other one, uh, let's just say he got there first. Can we say that? Okay, so... <laughs> to look in, he saw, he being himself, John, saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. So he's looking through. Don't think of like this big, you know, uh, uh, rock. Preparing it for a family tomb, and and, and so the only you know, if you're and it's just kind of lying there uh, in the in the grave, and John's trying to figure this out. He's just stunned. He doesn't go inside. He doesn't start moving things around or anything. He's just going, okay, wait a second. If he's a grave robber, why would he take the time to unwrap him? Ah. He's, he's just trying to figure this out. Why would he do that? I don't, I don't understand. And, and you see, here's the thing. If, you're, if you are a grave robber, or if you just wanted to, to deface the, the tomb and, 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 and all of that, one thing that you're probably not going to have in mind in that situation is neatness and tidiness. Right? Grave robbers aren't exactly the tidiest people on earth. And so he's going, why in the world would he take the time to unwrap his body? I don't understand. Peter gets there. Look at verse 6. He follows him, and he actually goes inside the tomb, and he sees the, lying, the, the, the linen cloth lying there. And then notice, he sees the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Again, I mean, why would he take the time? You think if he's going to steal the body, he's in a hurry, right? He's in a hurry. So why would he go in? Why would they go in, take the body out, take the time to unwrap him and all of that? Why would you do 
aha, folds it and everything, makes a little origami thing, and sits it there on the side. Why would he do that? Like, what, 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 does that, what does that prove? What does that accomplish? And so they're both kind of sitting there going, okay, what's going on here? Verse 8, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, he's still rubbing it in, who reached the tomb first, he also went in and noticed he saw, saw the same thing that Peter did. He saw the linen cloth, but apparently he didn't see the face cloth, but he sees the linen cloth and the face cloth, and then says he saw in verse 8, and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Now it makes sense. Wait a second, wait a second. So you mean to tell me, you can just, you can just see the wheels turn, right? You mean to tell me that that was literal? I mean, I thought it was like a symbolic thing, you know, like my Angelo or something, you know, the, 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 and I will rise, right? You know, I will rise. And, and I thought, I thought that he was just, you know, speaking about like, you know, uprising or, or whatever. Or we're going to rise from the dead. Oh, I just thought he meant like, you know, like the phoenix rising from the ashes or something like that. You know, just something about spiritual thing, some type of metaphorical thing. He, wait, he was serious? He actually was talking about, like, like actually rising from the dead? And you can see John and Peter just kind of look at each other and both having the same thought. This changes everything. <laughs> this changes everything. This is the first of four stories that we get here in John 20. And each of them shows us what seeing the risen son is able to, to do in your life. Here they were bewildered. Here they were trying to figure out uh, uh, what to make of all the things. They were confused. They're looking at the scriptures and going, I don't understand. It seemed like he fit it to a T and now he's dead and I don't understand what's going on. But then they saw the evidences of the risen son. And here's the first thing we see in this story. We see that seeing the risen son can turn the bewildered into believers. Seeing the risen son can turn the bewildered into believers. Are you bewildered? You're looking at your life and you're going, I just don't even understand. This doesn't make any sense. Nothing makes sense in my life. I don't know what's going on. I don't, I don't see any method to the madness. I don't see any plan. I don't see any purpose. I'm just trying to figure out why are these things continuing to happen to me? Could it be that instead of looking at your circumstances, you need to look to the risen sun? And in seeing the risen sun, you realize all of this was meant to point me towards him. All of this is meant to help me lean on him with my life, to put all of my cares and all of my worries and all my confusion on him and let him guide me and take care of me. Why? Because if he is able to walk through death and come back out of it, then surely he's the one that's able to get me through any circumstance or situation that confuses me. Amen? If he is the one who is able to do this, then surely he is the one who is able to do everything that he says he can do. And he said that he has come to give us life. Life. You will live if you trust in him. He is the one who is able to turn the bewildered into believers. And we get a second scene. 
the, the camera pans as John and Peter are leaving the, the tomb and they're going back home. It pans back to Mary. Remember Mary? John doesn't mention much about Mary Magdalene. He, only, he actually doesn't even mention her until the previous chapter, chapter 19. The only other details, even though she's mentioned in all four Gospels, the only other detail that we have of her is found in Luke 8, where it says that she had been in some way possessed and tormented by seven demons. That's all we know of her. But you can imagine if she went through that type of life, that by the time she gets here and she sees the one who delivered her dead, all of the of the confusion and so on would would, would, would would be right there with her as well. She's trying to figure out what she's trying to make sense of all of this. If he was capable of doing this, then how if he could if he could take on seven demons, how could he not take on the Romans and the Jewish authorities? How could he not do that? I don't understand. If he had power to to, to cast out demons, why didn't he have power to take out the the, the, the these these authorities and so on? It doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. And here she is weeping because now the one who had protected her, the one who fought for her, is dead. And she could probably feel the vulnerability. She could feel exposed. Will they come back now that he's gone? She doesn't know what's going on. Where did they take his body? She, who would kidnap him? I don't understand. All of these ideas are swirling in her head. And notice she stands there in verse 11, weeping, weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. So now she's the third person to look into the tomb to try to figure out what's going on. And when she went in to look into the tomb, it says she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And what's really interesting in this passage is she is one of the few in the scriptures that sees an angel. She actually sees two angels and the angels don't say, don't be afraid. It's actually really interesting. I have no idea why they didn't freak her out. Maybe because she had already had experience with the demonic and so on, that seeing angels would, wouldn't have been that unusual for her. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But for whatever reason, she, she's there, and the angels come to her, and they ask her a simple question. Verse 13, woman, why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? And she said to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. I don't think she's saying that um, uh, kindly. I think she's she's angry. She's upset. She doesn't know what's happening. Why would they do this? They've taken him away. And I, I don't know where they laid him. And, and having said this, verse 14, she turns around and she sees Jesus standing. Now that's awesome. She sees Jesus Standing. The only thing more awesome about this is, keep going, but she did not know that it was Jesus. So perhaps you know, her eyes are clouded with all the tears and everything. They're irritated and so on. She doesn't recognize who she's talking to, which of all of us are sitting here watching this story and we're just going, oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> this is going to be good. She's over here weeping. Someone kidnapped the body of Jesus, and Jesus in his body is standing right there. And he asks her the same thing the angels did. Woman, why are you weeping? He asks another question. Whom are you seeking? 
I love his gentleness. I love it. She, she says, notice John says, supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Just, just give me the body, please. If you give me the body, I can take it and everything. I'll take good care of his body and so on. Just, just please, just tell me where it is. And, and as she's pleading for him to do so, Jesus says to her, Mary. Now, I don't know because John doesn't tell us. But I just believe that there was something about the way he said her name. Here she was, scandalized, ravaged by demons. And, and whatever the abuse, whatever the hurt, whatever the torment that she went through, when Jesus said her name, she heard the care of a loving God. Mary. Right then and there, she knew that voice. Wait a second. Wait a second. By the time she's probably wiping, getting tears off her. And she says here, Rabboni, which is Aramaic for teacher, my, my teacher. And you can see here, uh, John doesn't say that uh, in here, but you see in the way that Jesus responds, she says, don't cling to me. So she probably just went, ah! You know, and just, and just hugged him and, and, and probably wanted to kiss him on the cheek. You know, you're, you're here. You're alive. Oh my, oh my goodness. He's probably weeping for a totally different reason now. But Jesus says, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Don't, don't cling to me. Don't cling to me. Why? For I have not yet ascended to the Father. I don't think he's saying here, don't touch me because he doesn't want her to touch him. Later on, you're going to see that he invites the disciples to come and touch and, and everything. I think he's saying to her, don't hold too tightly on me. Maybe she's thinking, I've got him, and now that I've got him, I'm never letting him go, right? And, and you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know they, they took you away one time. You're not, they're not taking you away from me this time. And Jesus is going, wait, wait, hold up, hold up. That's not the plan. The plan is not for me to stay here. I've got to go. Okay? I'm going to be ascended. I'm going to ascend up to the Father and so on. So in the meantime here, look what he says. Go, verse 17, to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Just a little side note. This is the first time in the Gospel of John that he calls the disciples his brothers. Notice, my brothers is a post-resurrection reality. Because he rose from the dead, he has now opened up adoption for everybody. Everyone can come in. Anyone who calls on the name of Jesus can be saved. And you will be brought into the family of God, and you will be brothers and sisters of the Most High God. Say to my brothers, Jesus being our big brother, say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene Plantin announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord! And that he has said these things to her. Notice, if Jesus can turn the bewildered into believers, notice he can also turn the weeping into witnesses. He can turn the weeping into witnesses. Here she was weeping over her life, over the reality of Jesus being gone and all of that. But now that she has seen the risen son, she's not weeping anymore. Now she's going and she's proclaiming to everyone, Jesus is alive! 
If Jesus is alive, wipe your tears. If Jesus is alive, we've got a message. You have a message to believe, but you also have a message to share. Go. Go. Uh, by the way, I find it really amazing that the first evangelist we have in the Gospel of John is a woman. And of all women, one who had been ravaged by demons is now a witness to the risen Christ. Isn't it amazing? The first one to see the resurrected Lord is a woman. <laughs> oh, Jesus loves your boxes. He loves your boxes about the way, uh, the same way a two or three year old loves boxes, right? He gets the box and goes, ooh, cool, a box. Right? That's what he does with boxes. And here we are going, this is what it's got to be, and this is who, this is And Jesus goes, you know what, I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to reveal myself to one that you would least expect. And I'm going to send her to go and share the good news of Christ to everybody else. He, he just, he just likes doing that. That's him. That's our Savior. He loves lifting the head of all who call on him. And this is what he does. He turns the weeping into, wit into witnesses. Well, notice on that evening. So now we've reached Sunday evening. The sun is setting and so on. And on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, verse 19, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, John says. Notice they're in here. They've got a lock. They've got the, the door bolted and so on. You know, they may have a lookout looking out the window going, hey, shh, 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 shh. Just making sure and all this. And while all of this is happening, Jesus shows up. <laughs> he comes in, in verse 19. He came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Now, I think I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. I cannot wait to get a resurrected body. Because in my resurrected body, I'm just going to show up. I ain't calling y'all either, right? You, you know, you're just going to be sitting there eating dinner, and I'm just going to pop up, hey, can I have some? You know, and you're going to be like, get away, run your please. But you probably won't, because in your resurrected body, you won't have sin, and you'll have, you'll be full of hospitality. It's going to be wonderful. And so I'm just going to show up, and you're like, hey, run your hey, what's going on, man? And I'm just going to grab a chicken wing, it's going to be great. But, but, but this, this is what happens here. Here they are, the door is locked and bolted and all of this. Nobody can come in except Jesus in his resurrected body just shows up. So here he is, physical body. He's a human. He is not a ghost. He is, he is in his fully human skin and bones. Just died on the cross a couple days ago. Now he's standing here in his presence and yet he can also just show up and go through walls and all of that. I don't know what's up with his resurrected body, but it is awesome and I cannot wait until I get it. And so here he goes to them and he says, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. She was right. It is you. Oh, my goodness. And they come and they, and they worship him. And it says in verse 21, he says again, peace be with you. Peace be with you. And listen to what he says. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. Thank God it wasn't 2020. He breathed on them. And he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And then he gives them these words. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. It doesn't mean 
there you know, walking around like popes saying, you are forgiven, you are forgiven, you are forgiven. That's not what they're doing. Rather, forgiveness of sins can only come through the person and work of Jesus Christ. What, they, what he is giving them is he's giving them the authoritative message, the gospel. And with the gospel now, they have the authority to say to someone, your sins are forgiven. Not because they forgave their sins, but because the power of Christ in the gospel forgives them of their sins. You see what's going on there? And so notice back in the, uh, back in the early days of Jesus' ministry, Jesus would forgive people's sins and pronounce that their sins are forgiven. And you'd have the Jewish leaders over in the corner going, who is this man? Only God can forgive sin. Of course, completely missing the point that he is the son of God. Well, now he has given that authority to the disciples. And as the disciples in their apostolic ministry are going to the ends of the earth, they are entrusting this gospel to generation who entrusted it to another generation, who entrusted it to another generation, all the way down to our generation. We have the gospel. And now we have the authority to say to people, if you trust in the work of Jesus Christ in his death and in his resurrection, your sins will be forgiven. And if you reject Christ, your sins will not be forgiven. We have the authority to talk like that. We have the authority to say, you're forgiven. Not because we are the ones who forgive, but because he is the one who forgives. Notice, Jesus, the risen Christ, can turn the bewildered into believers. He can turn the weeping into witnesses. And notice, he can turn the cowering into the commissioned. Here they were in the room with fear. Now Jesus looks at them and says, go, go. This is John's great commission. Go and share the good news of Christ to everybody. And so we too, we understand that we live in a world that is hostile to Christianity, just like it was in the first century. We realize that we're in a world where, even in our culture with religious liberties and so on, we recognize that people find ways to get around. They find ways to impose pressure. They find ways to make our lives miserable and so on. And we can't even put into words the kinds of atrocities that are going on all over this globe from brothers and sisters who are living for Christ but are being killed and are being jailed and are having their families split apart and all of these different things. And yet we do not fear. Why don't we fear? Because Jesus is alive. The worst thing you could do is take my life. And Jesus, who rose from the dead, has authority to give it back. So what can man do to me? You can torture me. You can disfigure me. You can dismember me. And yet the Lord will restore me in the final day. There is nothing that you can do that Jesus can't overcome and restore. So now these who were cowering in fear are now emboldened to go and tell everyone Jesus is alive. Well, lastly, notice he is not only able to bewilder the believers, he's able to witness, or, uh, turn the bewildered into believers, he's able to turn the weeping into witnesses, he's able to turn the cowering into commissions, and also he's able to turn the skeptics into the servant. We have one guy who wasn't there in the room. His name is Thomas, verse 24. One of the twelve, apparently he was a twin, because that was his nickname, Didymus, twin. He was not with them when Jesus came. 
So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord! We've seen him! But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe! Now, there are many people throughout the generations that have just turned Thomas into a whipping boy. And I can guarantee that if you, if you were in Thomas' shoes, you would respond exactly the same way. Don't come over here with your conspiracy theories. Don't come over here with your propaganda. I don't have time for that. My Savior is in the grave. So show me the proof. Don't, don't, don't give me any of these myths. Don't give me any of these, 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 these old wives' tales or anything like that. No, I want proof. Give me proof that he's here. And what's amazing is Jesus doesn't strike him dead. Instead, Jesus gives him exactly what he asks for. Verse 28, uh, 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and he uh, uh, um, stood among them. And he said, like he did before, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, no, he goes, you beelines right over to Thomas. Thomas, Thomas, come here, come here, Thomas, come here. Hmm. Oh, the grace of our Savior. Thomas, come here. Verse 27. Put your finger here. Come here. Come here. Give me your finger. Put your finger here. And see my hands. See them? Come on. Stick it through the hole. Now I've got, I, I think it's pretty split in the lock household. I know my boys would go, cool. And they would, you know, just in and out, in and out, in and out. You know, cool. The girls would go, no. I believe. <laughs> you know, but come on, stick your fingers through. Come on. And, and here, here, get, get your hand, get your hand. Come on, come on. Place it in my side. Now, by the way, the hand, the hand thing is cool. The side thing is awesome. Because when the soldier drove the spear into his body, it says blood and water poured out. Maybe a reference to the heart and to the sack of fluid. That the heart sits in. Jesus was already dead by that time, but just to make sure that he was dead, they drove the spear in and punctured his heart. So when he says, Thomas, come on over here, come on over here, put your hand in the side. I honestly have no idea what Thomas felt when he went in like that. Um, but again, the boys would absolutely take him up on that offer. And the ladies would probably go, mm, 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 you know, that's okay. I don't, I don't want to do that. But he puts his hand in. See? There's proof. This is a wishful thinking. Touch the flesh and blood. Touch the side. Jesus has nothing to hide. Are you here? And, and perhaps you've got questions and so on? Please understand. There are plenty of, of Christians that have unfortunately tried to do a lot of smoke and mirror type stuff. Don't ask the hard questions. Don't, don't, don't wonder. Don't be, don't, don't be puzzled about anything. Christianity is neat and tidy and airbrushed and photoshopped. We're happy. Right? 
and, and, and all that. And so you have these people who, who, who have questions, legit questions. They're trying to understand. They want to figure this out. And, and they're being pushed aside as being agnostics and atheists. They're not necessarily agnostic and atheists. They just have questions. Questions aren't unchristian. Jesus welcomes your questions. Jesus has nothing to hide. He says, come on over here. You got questions? Come on, get your finger. Touch, touch the scars. Come on, touch them, feel them. And then he says here, do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answers one of the rarest times in the scriptures that anybody says this. My Lord and my God. He was an agnostic. He wasn't an atheist. He wanted proof. Jesus came to him with that certainty, with that proof. And notice how quickly Thomas says, that's all I needed. You are everything for me. My Lord and my God. Notice he turns the skeptic into the certain. This is what he does. This is who he is. The risen Christ changes everything. But John adds this little part. In verse 29, Jesus says to him, have you believed because you have seen me? He's not rebuking him. He's, I don't think that's a rebuke. I think he's just asking, have you seen, you know, you see me and you believe? He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Guess who that is? It's you. That's me. Any of us. I know I don't want to embarrass you or anything, but is, does, does any of us um, any of us go all the way back to the first century AD? Any of us here? Show of hands. No. All right. So so all of us were not alive when Jesus was walking on the earth. Correct. All right. If I, I know, I know some of y'all are like I don't really want to you know, tell my age or anything. That's fine. That's fine. You want you want to keep that a secret? That's good. You know. Um, but but would you say, well, you know, I, I I wasn't there. So you didn't see him like John saw him. You weren't there watching him walk the streets. You weren't there watching him sailing on the Sea of Galilee. You weren't with him when he walked the Sea of Galilee. You, you weren't there when he fed 5,000. You weren't there on the Mount of Transfiguration. You weren't there for any of those things. So here's the, uh, uh, the disciples, Peter and John. They saw the empty tomb and they believed. Mary saw the risen Christ in the garden, and she believed. The disciples saw Jesus in the room, and they believed. Thomas took his hands and, and saw the, 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 the wounds and so on, and he believed. But what about us? What about all of us? I can't go back. And even if you did go back, the Catholics like put shrines and cathedrals over everything. We can't even see it if we wanted to. So, so how will we believe? Look what he says, verse 30 and 31. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Look at verse 31. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Where can you see Jesus? You see Jesus in the gospel. That's where you see him. Open your Bible and see him. See him in action. Hear him teach. Watch him work. Watch him move. Watch him die. Watch him rise. Watch him ascend into heaven. Look at him through the writings of those who are eyewitnesses of him. Look at Jesus and believe. That is what 
we see. We see the risen uh, son in the gospel. And if you do and you believe in him, you will have life, John says. By believing, you may have life in his name. You may be bewildered with this world. You may be disillusioned with this world. But look to the risen son and live. You may be weeping with all of the sorrows of this life and of this world. It did not work out the way that you thought it was going to work out. You're still heavily burdened. You're still overwhelmed and all that. Look to the risen Christ and live. You may be the one cowering with fear, wondering, should I be open about my faith or should I just kind of keep it to myself? Life is a lot better for me when I don't go around telling people about Jesus and all of that. You may be afraid to go and stick your neck out for the cause of Christ and so on. Look to the risen Christ and live. You may be skeptical. You may have questions. You may have things that you're grappling with and weighing you down and burdening you. And you're going, I don't know what to do with all of these. Look to the risen Christ and live. You have the opportunity, just as the disciples did, to see Jesus. See him in the gospel. Double down on what he has done in his death and in his resurrection. Realize that in that he reveals his glory, the glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. See what John saw, see what Peter saw, see what Mary saw, what the disciples saw, what Thomas saw. See him in the gospel and live. There's one hope, one hope, one hope in life and death, and his name is Jesus. Can you see him? Can you see him? If not, plead, plead, God, open my eyes that I may see, because I cannot live without Jesus. Something happened on that day. Early, Sunday morning, our Lord rose from the dead. And all who were disillusioned and afraid, all who were weary and worn, all who were battered and bruised, stood up and said, if Jesus Christ is alive, I can't stay seated. I must go. And I must tell everyone this good news. If Jesus is alive, everything changes. And my prayer is that each one of us would bear witness how he has changed our lives how he has changed our minds, how he has changed our hearts and our affections, our behavior and so on, that we would be witnesses to all of our neighbors and all of the watching world. Jesus is alive. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you have given us good news. We serve a Savior who has conquered the grave. And in so doing, he has been vindicated for all of the universe to see. He is exactly who he says he is. And he has done exactly what he said he will do. There is hope. Hope was was not lost on Friday. It was secured. (laughs) Sunday proves it. So Father, I pray for every single one of us here.
Pray, Lord, that we would live in this hope. That we would live knowing that He is who He says He is. That we would live knowing that none whom the Father has placed in His hands will anybody be able to pluck out. That we would know that there is a shepherd who cares for us. And no wolf is able to take us from his fold. We have one who is the resurrection and the life. And he who believes on him will never die. And he who dies will live. May we see him as he is. And may we rejoice. Because our salvation is real. And Lord, for those who have not believed, I pray that today would be the day that they would turn from their sin and their false hopes and their false saviors. And they would look to Jesus and live. Right now, in the silence, look to Jesus. See him as the Savior that he is. And call out to him. As Pastor Sean had said earlier, you may have fears that you've been grappling with, burdens that you've been carrying. Look to Jesus. Lay them at his feet. in the name that is above all names.